guys have been with us the past couple weeks in First Peter? All right, if you have not been with us the past couple weeks, uh, spoiler alert, we're going through First Peter. And today, we are going to be closing out chapter one. We're going to be in a message entitled, Strangers Pursuing Holiness and Living in Awe. Those are kind of like the two topics in the end of chapter one that we are going to be learning about today. We're going to specifically, I know it's small at the bottom there, but we're going to specifically be in 1 Peter 1 verses 13 through 21. Now who remembers a couple weeks ago when Pastor Joel was introducing you guys to the book of 1 Peter and first gave the name to our series study, uh, he first gave that name strangers to it. You guys remember when he said that? And how we've been talking about this, this idea of being strangers. Who remembers kind of what that means? You don't have to stand up and say what it means, but who, just, just by nodding your head, you're like, yeah, I kind of remember what he was saying. When we're talking about strangers, you guys, we're talking about how the Bible refers to us, refers to those who are believers as though we are like pilgrims passing through this life. You guys remember the pilgrims uh, the, that kind of were part of founding this country that fled England because of the uh, religious oppression they were experiencing over there? You guys know the pilgrims? Had those funny black hats and the, the suits and stuff, right? They were pilgrims, not because they were like, we're going to call ourselves pilgrims and that's just going to be our name. No, pilgrims was something that they were because they were on this journey, right? They were on this journey from uh, England and various parts of, of Europe uh, to come to America to seek a better life. And for you and I, we are on this journey throughout this life. You see, the Bible teaches us that this world is not our home. You're like, Tate, what are you saying right now? Because I'm pretty sure that after church today, I'm going to go get lunch. And then after I get lunch, I'm going to go to my home. Yes, you're going to go to your earthly home where you live off of this street at this address, wherever that may be. You're going to go to a temporary home. But as far as your eternal home, if you are a Christian, your eternal home is heaven. The Bible says that those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, how many of you would consider yourself a Christian today? Awesome. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that your citizenship is in heaven. You have a, uh, you, you know, depending on, I would think that most of us have uh, United States citizenship, but there is also the possibility that someone else has citizenship in another country, which is awesome, right? But the Bible says that we're all as believers our citizenship is in heaven. It says that in Philippians 3.20. This world is not our home. We are strangers in this world. We get looked at as though we're strange because we live for Jesus. And that's honestly, as we're going to learn, that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that the world sees us, not necessarily as like a bunch of weirdos, but as people who are different, which sometimes those two, they see us as different. And because they see us as different, they see us as weirdos. And if that's the case, whatever, we're weirdos, right? But we want to be different than the world. As we're going to talk about today, this concept of holiness, that's exactly what it means to be different, to be set apart. Now we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 21, as we've been doing on Sundays, you guys, we are going to stand for the reading of God's word. And remember, when we stand for the reading of God's word, it is not this magical thing that uh, something is happening inside. You could, you could stand up. That something is happening inside us where it's like it's going to make us understand better if we stand up for this portion of the study. No, no, no. But if you guys think about how if, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but if the, the president uh, walks into a room, those who were seated out of respect for the president, even though he's not the best president, but out of respect for the position that that man happens to be in, they will stand. It's an act of reverence. And so when we look into God's word, we too want to have reverence. Make sense? All right. Uh, makes sense to, I guess, one of you today, but Okay. Verse 13, I want you guys to look in your Bibles, look down. No one should be talking. Your eyes should be down in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. There's still a few back there. Uh, get one before it's too late. 
But it says in verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout this time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. You guys can be seated. And as you're seated, we're going to pray. Lord, we pray that this day, Truly, God, our heart's desire, or at least my heart's desire, I guess I can't speak on behalf of everyone here, but my heart's desire, and I pray that all of our heart's desire is to be changed by your word. God, we recognize that your word is eternal, that it is living, it is powerful. It has the capability, it has the capacity to transform us completely to make us from the wretches we were into the glorious image of your son, Jesus. So God, we ask that you would do this in our lives today. We ask that you would be the one to teach us out of your word today and that we would have ears to hear and hearts to obey your scriptures. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in these first few verses, specifically verses 13 through 16, you guys, we're gonna see kind of the first half of our message. It's a little bit, probably gonna dedicate a little bit more than half of the message to this idea of pursuing holiness, this call that we all have upon us. If you raise your hand a moment ago, when I ask you, raise your hand if you're a Christian. If you raise your hand, then you have this call on your life to pursue holiness. Holiness. Now, I know there's a lot of notes to note down up there, uh, but do your best to follow along as we kind of explain what's up there. But I want to ask you guys, this idea of pursuing holiness, when that word pursuit, what comes to your guys' mind when you hear the word pursuit? Yeah. Okay, like a continued, like following after something? Yeah? Yeah, Josh. Chasing after something? Yeah, yeah, Josh. Huh? Uh, that's, that's what comes to my mind too, a car chase. Yeah, like if you guys, uh, I, I don't anticipate that most of you watch the news on a regular basis, but uh, maybe your parents, you've been walking by the TV and they got it on channel two or channel whatever, and there's a car chase, right? And now in that, in that context, there's a criminal who is trying to escape the authorities. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here, but what we're talking about is this pursuit, right? That criminal is trying to escape and the Who's pursuing who in that example? Is the criminal pursuing the cops? No, the police officers, they are pursuing the criminal. Now, you and I, we're not pursuing after something bad like that. We are in this high-speed pursuit after what the Bible says is holiness. It's something God wants for each and every single one of his children to walk in. But before we go on talking about holiness, let's make sure we all understand it before we really get into talking about how to pursue it. So what is holiness? You guys, I want to kind of present the definition of holiness in a twofold way. And when I say twofold, uh, how many of you guys went to the snack bar before service? Uh, think about the dollar or think about a coin, right, that you may have used. There are, it, it is one dollar or it is one coin, but there's two sides to it, right? And the, the definition that I'm going to give you of holiness is kind of like that. There's two sides to this definition. One side being that it is the unparalleled majesty of God's inc incomparable being and his blameless, his faultless, and his unblemished moral purity. You're like, Tate, I have no idea what you just said. 
I want you to just think about it in this way, that the Bible says that God alone is holy. He is He is a holy God. He is completely different than you and I or than any other created being. And in fact, out of his holiness stem all of his, all of his attributes. His nature of holiness produces his love. His nature of holiness produces his wrath, his kindness, his goodness. It all comes from the fact that God alone is holy. But then the other side of that coin that we're talking about is the fact that God, he will say, you be holy. And we're like, wait, didn't you just say, Tate, that only God is holy? Yes, I did. But God himself, the other side of it is that God will set things apart for him. And what he has done is his church, not this physical place, the church, but the church being the gathering of God's people, he has set aside for himself. He has set apart each and every one of us for his purpose. So in your notes, just jot down somewhere. I know it's not up on the screen, but just write holiness equals being set apart. Holiness equals being set apart. That's the simplest way that my mind thinks about it. It's like this. Uh, in my cartoon brain, I have somewhat of a cartoon brain. Um, I see, you know, when, I, when I'm reading certain scriptures and I'm trying to like illustrate it for my own understanding. Holiness, the way I see it is like, imagine like this group of people right here. And it's like God picks one up by the collar and takes them over here. He has taken someone from this, this pool of people, this group of people, and he has set them apart. And when you and I came to Christ, when we said yes to Jesus, when we said, yes, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and I want you as my savior so that I can be forgiven of my sins. The Bible says that God set us apart when we did that. We have been set apart. And because we've been set apart, we have a call to pursue holiness. And I want you to, if you didn't note it down, at least look at it on the screen, that statement at the bottom. It's like God says this to us. You are mine, and because you are mine, I want you to be different from the rest of the world. Everybody say different. Say it one more time. Different. God wants you to be different from the rest of the world. And when we refer to the world, we're talking about those in this world who do not know Jesus. That's what the Bible refers to that group of people, those who are in the world who don't know Jesus, the Bible just says they're the world, right? And God says, I want you as my child to be completely different from them. I don't want you to look like them. I don't want you to talk like them. I don't want your life to even be anything remotely close to what their lives are like because God has set us apart. And we're going to note down a couple of things regarding this pursuit of holiness today. So in that kind of first point of pursuing holiness, I want you to note down like a sub point. So like, a, like underneath it, you could put point A, however you want to go about it. But I want you to note down regarding this topic of pursuing holiness, that pursuing holiness starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. Now, did... Uh, did anyone, when we first started reading this chapter, did anyone catch the phrase that Peter starts off this section with when he says, gird up the loins of your mind? Are we all going to pretend like we just read over that and completely understood what he was talking about? No, I don't know what he was talking about until I actually learned what this phrase means. Does anyone know like just, oh yeah, I used, oh yeah, I told my buddy the other day, gird up the loins of his mind. You need to gird up, dude. No, we don't talk like this, right? What's a gird? What are we talking about? Is a gird a bird? No, a gird is not a bird, all right? To understand this phrase that Peter is using here, you guys, uh, it's, 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 like a, it's a phrase that like you and I would use like time flies, right? It's an it's idiom. It's a phrase to communicate something, a truth, right? Time doesn't itself actually fly. It doesn't like a, a clock doesn't just grow wings and fly away. If that happens, I guess you could tell me about it and we can maybe have a conversation about it. But generally speaking, time does not fly. And our minds do not have loins that in the physical sense need to be girded up. But he is using this phrase and to you and I, we read it and we're like, Peter, what, Pete, 
gird up the loins of my mind. What are you talking about, man? But it, it really was a phrase that to those who were alive at the time of Peter writing this, they would have been like, got it. I get what you're saying, Peter. But for you and I, a lot has changed in nearly 2,000 years. So we actually have to kind of look in and study this phrase to fully understand what God is using Peter to communicate here. So what we actually need to or understand before uh, understanding this phrase is actually the, the clothing attire of those nearly 2,000 years ago. You're like, the clothing attire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're actual clothes. How many of you guys uh, were around for night in Bethlehem? Not this past Christmas. It didn't happen this past Christmas, but a couple Christmases ago. Yeah, so those of you, this is going to make a lot more sense for those of you. If you weren't around, uh, for reference, night in Bethlehem is basically when this whole church transforms basically like to the, the ancient city of Bethlehem. Everybody's wearing these long robes, all the characters. I was actually uh, a, a beggar in the last night in Bethlehem. I don't know if any of you saw me out in the courtyard begging for coins, but uh, yeah, I was out there. It was kind of funny. I told first service that uh, we were only allowed to take fake coins from people because apparently a couple of night in Bethlehems ago, there was this beggar who was accepting real money from people. They were actually giving him dollars and, and change and coins. And so they had to make sure that the kind of uh, currency that the beggars got at night in Bethlehem was, was fake coins, but the, the shekels and stuff that were being used. So nonetheless, though, you guys, I was a beggar and my, my outfit, for those of you who saw me, I was wearing a long robe, right? And I was walking around the courtyard like this because those robes, you don't walk very good in them, right? They're kind of hanging low and they're a, a little bit constrictive in the sense that I can't take these like big steps. If you were to ask me to run in that robe, uh, if you were to challenge me to a race, you would probably win. I consider myself pretty fast, but when I'm wearing that robe, you're, you're going to beat me. This is the bottom line because I can't run good in it. And so Peter is writing to these people that would have been wearing clothing like that. They would have been wearing these long robes that they can't run around in, that they can't, you know, uh, perform physical exercise very well in. I suppose they could try, but it probably wouldn't go well. They would stumble, fall over, things like that. He's saying to gird up the loins of, of your mind, the idea is this, that you take your robe, you pull it up to above your knees, and you tie it around your waist. You're like, okay, but he's saying of your mind, Tate. Let's just understand that part first. Girding up the loins, that you take your robe, you pull it up above your knees, and then you tie it around your waist. Now, uh, let's think for a second. Why do you think we would, uh, why do you think anyone would need to do that back in those days? If you were going to run, if you were going to work hard, a phrase that you and I, or something we might literally do from time to time, is the idea of uh, rolling up our sleeves, right? Have you guys ever done that? We're about to go, maybe you're wearing a long sleeve shirt and you're about to go do some yard work, pull some weeds, or maybe you're about to wash the dishes. I rolled up my sleeve the other day when I was, when I was washing some dishes because I didn't want my sleeves to get wet, right? So I pulled up my sleeves because I was about to do something that required a little bit of work. And it's going to get a little messy. And Peter is saying, I want you guys to roll up the sleeves of your mind. In the, this is obviously an illustration. It's a figure of speech. What he's saying, you guys, is take control of your mind. What does, take control of your mind for the sake of working hard towards something. And we know that that working hard towards something is towards holiness, that's what Peter is trying to direct us towards. He's saying, guys, get ready in, the, in your mind. Get ready to work hard towards pursuing holiness. It does require a little bit of holy sweat. There's an author, um, he wrote, his name's Kent Hughes. Uh, he wrote this book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And when it comes to these disciplines, that God wants men to live by. And there's another book that his wife wrote, Disciplines of a Godly Woman, uh, both of which I've heard are, well, I've read the Disciplines of a Godly Man, haven't read the woman, uh, because you can imagine, right? Uh, but the Disciplines of a Godly Man, he says that to be a godly man, it requires a little bit of sweat. To be a, someone who pursues holiness, it requires some hard work. And how exactly does holiness start in the mind. What we need to understand, you guys, whether, whether we know it or not, is there is a full-blown war going on around us. In our mind, there is, there is a war 
for your mind. The enemy is seeking to destroy you. I told first service earlier, I was like, have you guys ever watched National Geographic when like a lion just devours some, some uh, gazelle or something like that, right? And they just rip it to shreds. The Bible says that that's what Satan wants to do to you. And to be real, one of the ways that he tries to do this, one of the main ways, if not the main way that he tries to do this is by attacking our minds. He comes at us up here, you guys. Our minds are constantly being shaped by what we allow them to meditate on. What you give your thoughts to will affect your lifestyle. It will affect who you are as a person. If you are giving your thoughts to bad things, that's gonna work its way out in your life. But on the positive side, if you're giving your thoughts to things that are honoring unto the Lord, to his word, that awesomeness is going to work its way out into your life. You are going to live a life that is pleasing to God. A motto I've told people before, I, I didn't make it up, but it's is garbage in, garbage out. If you allow garbage to be in your mind and you give your mind to garbage, garbage is gonna work its way out into the way that you live. What kind of garbage am I talking about? I'm talking about some garbage music, garbage television, garbage this, garbage that. All of those things, we might, we might think that we're so spiritual that we can, oh, Tate, you don't understand. I can listen to, to this horrible music artist who only talks about just terrible things that I know God hates. But Tate, listen, I, it doesn't affect me. That's no big deal. Oh, I take, I could go watch this movie uh, because I'm so spiritual that like, I know that I could watch it and not be tempted and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch out. You gotta watch out with thinking like that because that stuff, whether you realize it when you're listening to it or whether you realize it when you're watching it, it it's going in your mind. And things that go into your mind are sometimes hard to get out. And so the Bible challenges us to gird up the loins of our mind. Be careful what you allow in your mind. Only allow the good as much as you are able to. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about how the enemy, he will seek to put bad thoughts into your mind. And we're going to talk about what you do with it. But your mind should be pursuing what is good, pursuing what is holiness. The, the pursuit of holiness, it truly does start in the mind. Now, don't try to write down this whole quote, but this is from the book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Very good book. And he's talking about how holiness starts in, in, in the mind. He says, holiness begins in our minds. This is exactly what we're saying. It begins in our minds and works out to our actions. That being true, what we allow to enter our minds is critically important. The television programs we watch, the movies we may attend, the books and magazines we read, the music we listen to, and the conversations we have all affect our minds. Now, he only just right, he barely scratched the tip of the iceberg, right? He only named a couple of things. But there is so much that we, is, is out there that is trying to transform our minds in the negative sense. We need to be on guard against these things. You see, I believe that in the wake of, of so many just problems in the mind in our society today, that what we need to do is listen to what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter. We need to gird up the loins of our minds. We need to take control. We need to get ready to work hard to pursue holiness. I don't think God would use Peter to say, gird up the loins of your mind if it was something that was outside of our control to do so. You see, some people, they see their thoughts as like they are a victim to their own thoughts. Like, oh, Tay, you don't understand. Like, it's just the way that my brain works. Um, okay, but the Bible tells you to gird up the loins of your mind. So there's, a, there's some accountability there. You got to take control of your thoughts. And by the grace of, and the power of God, we can do these things. We can take this, this junk that's in our mind and get it out by meditating on what is good. 2 Corinthians 10, verses four through five, those verses are on the screen for you, says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God 
for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then what we're going to think about right now is it says bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what the Christian life looks like, you guys. Imagine you're standing right here and you're just trying to live for Jesus. Over here is the enemy. He pulls back his arrow, his fiery dart, the Bible says, and he shoots it and it goes right into your mind. Now, what do you do in that moment? The enemy sends a bad thought into your mind. What are you gonna do? Well, what you should do according to this verse is you take that thought and you get it out. And the way that you do that is you bring it to the obedience of Christ. What does that look like, Tate? I want to I kind of illustrate it this way, all right? Everybody close your eyes. First, people, first service people do not tell these people what I'm about to do, all right? Everybody actually close your eyes. I'm serious. For the sake of the illustration, for this to make sense to you, close your eyes. And whatever you do, while your eyes are closed right now, whatever you do with all the strength and the willpower that you have in your mind, I do not want you to think of an elephant. Just do me a favor. Do not think of a gray elephant with that tiny little tail that swings back and forth with the long snout that they dip in water and they spray themselves with. Don't think about how their uh, four legs are just so massive and how they're these massive animals. Don't think of a baby elephant next to an elephant right now. Just don't think about these things. All right, everybody open your eyes. Just by raising your hands, how many of you thought of an elephant? Okay. Now, so there's always two groups of people. Listen, listen, listen. There's always two groups of people. There are those who thought about an elephant and there are those who did not think about an elephant. Now, where are my people who did not think about an elephant? Can I ask you, how did you manage to not think about an elephant, even though I was trying to persuade you to think of an elephant? Well, yes. She thought about bananas, all right? That is perfectly fine. Everybody else put your hands down because she nailed it because in order for you, shh, listen, in order for you to not have thought about an elephant, what you needed to do was think about something other than an elephant. You see, sometimes uh, people will ask you, they're like, hey, what are you thinking about right now? And you go, nothing. That's a lie. You're actually thinking about something. And we're, our minds are always occupied by something. That's the reality, right? And if the elephant is the bad thing, right? The bad thought that the enemy may send into your mind, how do you replace that bad thought? You replace it with what the Bible says is good. You replace it with that which is holy. Our minds are going to be occupied by something. Are we going to let them be occupied by the junk that the enemy wants our minds to be occupied by? No, we got to replace those bad thoughts with what God says is good. And what is good is his word. Notice you guys in verse 13, after Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, he says, be sober. Now don't think that Peter was writing to a bunch of people that had a drinking problem because he wasn't. He's writing to people. And when he says, be sober, what that means is it means to think clearly, to think clearly. To be sober is to think, for, think of things as they actually are. And the only way that we can be sober, the only way that we can think clearly like this is to think biblically, all right? The Bible, you guys, is how we make sense of everything in this life. This is the lens through which God wants you to see everything that happens, everything that happens. He wants you to see it through the lens of his word. We've been talking about how we're like strangers journeying through this life, right? The Bible is like our compass as strangers, right? It helps us navigate. It helps us know where we are going. You see, the second thing, you guys, that I want you guys to think of regarding this pursuit of holiness is that it is a matter of obedience. Write that down in your notes. Point B, that it is a matter of obedience, In verse 14, you'll see that Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. You see, you guys, pursuing holiness 
Sometimes we can be tempted to think that it is this just daunting task that none of us are capable of. But I want to encourage you today that you are capable of pursuing holiness as you obey the Lord. You want to know the route to pursue holiness? You want to know the the trail that you walk on to do this, to chase after holiness? The way you do that is step by step, you obey what God has said. And we don't have to wonder what God has said. He has told us what he said in his word. It's really just a matter of simple obedience. As a child of God, you guys, if you said you were a Christian, if you raise your hand when I asked you at the beginning of service, if you are a child of God, then your goal is to obey your heavenly father and please him in all that you do. If you didn't know that, if you didn't know that that was your goal, now you know. That is your goal as a child of God. You obey him step by step. And I want to read you uh, another quote from that book, The Pursuit of Holiness, you guys, because i sorry that's a little small up there, and obviously don't try and write down the whole quote, but what Jerry Bridges presents here to us regarding our battle with sin and our pursuit of holiness is very powerful because he encourages us not to think of us falling into sin as, as an accident. He encourages us to take a, accountability for when we do sin. He says too often, we, are, we say we are defeated by this or that sin. We are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. This is the truth. This is the hard truth. That This is a hard pill to swallow, that none of us want to necessarily uh, own it, but it is exactly right on with what the Bible teaches. He says, it might be good if we stop using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms of obedience and disobedience. When I say I am defeated by some sin... I am unconsciously slipping out from under my responsibility. Think about it. Oh, I stumbled into sin. Doesn't it sound like accidental when you say something like that? Right? Like, oh, I tripped and I fell. Uh, according to what the Bible says, you dove off the diving board head first. I dove off the diving board head first. We don't, obviously, make, you know, when we sin, we are making a mistake, right? We are doing something that we didn't necessarily want to do. But we chose to do it. We disobeyed God. And when he goes on to say, I am saying that something outside of me has defeated me. But when I say I'm disobedient, that places the responsibility for my sin squarely on me. It's exactly true. Pursuing holiness is a matter of obeying God. To obey what God has said. And... Well, at times we struggle to obey what God has said, we are capable of doing so. Peter, he says that we're not to conform ourselves to our former lust. This means that we're no longer to simply live our lives. If you want to pursue holiness, then you have to do what the Bible says, deny your flesh. You have to do that. You have to deny what your sinful body once your sinful body what your spirit is within your sinful body at this present moment the real you is the internal you it is not your body right we think of each other as like we only think about each other as each other's bodies but the real you is the internal you but your sinful body wants to go after the things that displease god the things that are not holy Part of pursuing holiness, you guys, is denying our flesh. These pieces of junk, these bodies, they only want the things that are disobedient to God and the things that are unholy. Many people will base their entire lives, you guys, chasing after that which makes them happy. And I want to to encourage you, don't be someone who bases their life chasing after what makes you happy. Because while God does love, you guys recognize happiness is a good thing, right? I'm not up here saying that happiness is bad and that you shouldn't feel happy. If you're happy today, I want you to just, if you came to church happy, I want you to leave sad. No, I'm not saying that, right? But if you are basing your life decisions, what you go after on simply being happy, you're gonna miss it. 
God is more interested in you being holy than happy. But the awesome thing, you guys note that down right under where it says holiness greater than happiness, is that as you pursue what God says is holy, you will leave happy. But if you pursue what makes you happy, you're not necessarily going to leave holy. You get what I'm saying? You kind of see the difference there? Because if we're all honest, what makes us happy are the things that please our, our flesh. But what makes us holy are the things that please the Lord. God wants a better life for us. He wants for us to live a holy life. Galatians 5.24 on the screen there at the bottom says, Those who are Christ, those who are owned by Christ, those whom Christ has died for, says that they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And our next thing, sorry if you're still jotting down some notes, you can come get them after service, but our next thing regarding this pursuit of holiness, point C, is to aim for Jesus. To pursue holiness is to aim for Jesus. We have a target. We have a target that we are aiming for, and that target is Jesus himself. Jesus gave us the example. He demonstrated for us what it's like to live a holy life. You're like, Tate, that's not fair. He was God. You're right, but he was also man. And he, he was tempted in all points, as you and I, the Bible says, and yet he did not sin. He experienced the same temptations that you and I go through, and he did not sin. He showed us what it's like to live holy. Notice how Peter says, you guys, he says, to be holy in all your conduct. That word conduct simply means the way that you live, your lifestyle choices. Holiness, you guys, is not, you know, Christians, we talk, we talk about holiness a lot, and we should. The Bible talks a lot about holiness. But it's not just this theoretical thing that, like, is not a practical thing. It is absolutely a practical thing. It works its way out into the way that we live our lives. It's not just something we talk about. It is something, it, it's, it's how we live, truly. It's how we conduct ourselves as children of God. Now, we talked a lot about pursuing holiness by now. I told you we were gonna spend most of the service talking about that. But I do wanna focus on the second portion of our text today, verses 17 through 21, which is how we as strangers passing to and fro in this life are to live in awe, strangers living in awe. That was the second half of our title today. And we see this in verses 17 through 21. Look at verse 17 in your Bibles, you guys. Look down. Everybody should be looking down at their Bible. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And because I know um, some of you may, you know, the, the first thought when you hear the word fear is the bad kind of fear. The Bible talks about two kinds of fear, the bad kind of fear and the good kind of fear. The Bible says that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Obviously, that is referring to the bad kind of fear. But the good kind of fear, well, let's talk about the bad for a second, I guess. To the, the bad kind of fear is dread. It's to be terrified. It's to be afraid. God doesn't want you to live like that just terrified of everything. Boy, it was pretty clear when COVID came around how many people lived in fear and just, we didn't, we didn't know it, right? God doesn't want you to live in fear, but he does want you to live in the good kind of fear. And the good kind of fear, you guys, is to be in awe. That's why our, our point at the top there is living in awe. We could have easily put living in fear because that's the term that is used in verse 18 there. But living in awe just makes a little bit more sense to you and I. So we're going to use that word. And that, that phrase when he says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. I almost think of like checking into a hotel room, right? Where it's like, oh, during your stay here, we have this going on and this going on, right? And Peter's saying, while you're staying here on this earth, while God has you here, conduct yourself, live your life past the time of your sojourning, which is like your journey, that's where the word journey comes from, sojourning. Whoa, right? <laughs> but past the time of your journey here in fear, in awe, 
You guys know what it means to be in awe of something? It's like when you see something like some landscape or crazy awesome thing and you're, like, your jaw hits the floor, figuratively, obviously, right? You see something, you're like, wow. God wants you to be in awe of what he has done. And what are we to live in awe of? The first part of that is we are to live in awe of our incorruptible redemption, our incorruptible redemption. Last week, we talked about how our incorruptible inheritance is waiting for us in heaven one day. Today, we're going to focus on how our redemption, our salvation, is not according to corruptible things like silver and gold, Peter says. But our redemption, and by the way, when we use that word redemption or redeemed, the, what we should think of it as is, is like purchasing. That we have been purchased, we've been bought, we have been ransomed at a certain price. And the price of that was not, was not a matter of silver and gold. It wasn't like God said, okay, this is going to cost me, uh, you know, 50 pounds of silver to redeem you. No, it's going to cost a lot more than that. See, Peter says that we were not redeemed with silver and gold. Or for us, we were not redeemed with diamonds and cryptocurrency, right? Those are kind of like the value things of today's society, I guess you could say. Silver and gold, I guess, are still valuable, but they're not as valuable as some things like these, right? Diamonds and cryptocurrency. What God purchased us with, what you guys need to know, everybody look at me. What God purchased you with, what he redeemed you with, is far more expensive than you could accumulate all the diamonds in the world you could accumulate all the, the crypto, all the this or all the that, whatever is valuable in this life, how God redeemed you was much more expensive. God wants us to be in awe, point B there, you can see now. He wants you to be in awe of the price of our salvation or the price of our redemption. He says in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Our redemption, you guys, our purchasing, the fact that we have been bought by God, it was very expensive. It cost God the very blood of his own son, Jesus. Jesus' blood was spilt for us. You guys, think about it. When he was, the Bible says that Jesus was so brutally beaten that he was beaten, his face was swollen to the point where you could not recognize him anymore. You could not tell who he was. He was marred beyond visage is what the Bible says. And that's what that means, that he was beaten past recognition. When the thorn of crowns was pressed into his skull and the blood dripped down his face, I'm sorry if you're squeamish, but this is the reality. And it's good for us to think about these things. That when the blood dripped down his face, that that's the same blood that you were bought with. When he was nailed to the cross and blood is spilling out of his arms and out of his feet and surely out of cuts in his face and on his back for the, the stripes that he endured for us, the whippings that he took. Blood is pouring out of Jesus's body while he is on the cross. And it's that blood that we've been bought with, not with corruptible things. It wasn't a matter of silver and gold. It was the blood of God himself. That's the price of our redemption. And when we think about this, you guys, if the gospel is something that you're just like, oh, I've, I've heard it my whole life. Tate, I've, don't you know I've been coming to this church since, since I was three years old or whatever. I don't really care. The gospel should never lose its sense of wonder in our hearts, you guys. What Jesus did for us should always be something that every time we think about it, every single time, what we feel in our hearts is awe, where it's just like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. That word precious, you guys, the precious blood of Jesus means that the blood of Jesus was extremely costly and extremely valuable. And yet, Jesus laid down his life for us. Think about how much of a mess we all are, right? 
I'm a mess. You're a mess. We're all messes. And yet God demonstrates his love towards us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were the messes that we are, Jesus died for us. He took our place. You know who should have been on that cross? All of us because of our sin. But the sinless, perfect lamb of God without blemish went to the cross on our behalf so that we can get to go to heaven when we die. The gospel is amazing. It truly is, you guys. Jot down these verses about the blood of Jesus. We talk about the blood of Jesus a lot in church, and so we should. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price. That price was Jesus' blood. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians 1, verse 7, the first part of verse 7 says, In him, being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You can't be forgiven of your own sins on your own strength, on your own ability, on your own goodness. It won't work. The only way that you can be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven when you die, whenever that day is, I just had a friend of mine, next door neighbor, his dad passed away unexpectedly. He is in eternity. I don't know where he went. I don't. I wish I could say he went to heaven, but I don't. And none of us know when that day is going to come for us, when we will not be on this earth anymore. Lord willing, it'll be when Jesus raptures us. But we don't know. We live as though he's going to rapture us at any moment, but we ultimately don't know when our time is going to be. And if you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven. This is the gospel, you guys. But the reason why this is good news is because there was no way for us to be redeemed on our own strength. And God stepped in and he did something about it by shedding the blood of Jesus. A couple more verses about Jesus' blood. Ephesians 2 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in Revelation 1, 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. A question that I just want you all to ponder and think of to yourself. Do not nod your head. Do not Say yes, don't say anything right now, just think. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You have been washed in his blood. And when we consider how much it costs God to redeem us, to purchase us, to purchase our salvation, we should be awestruck. Our jaws should figuratively hit the ground because it is so amazing God's great love for us sent Jesus to die for us, to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, all it means is that Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. When he went to the cross, he bore what we deserve. He did not bore what he deserved. It was what we deserve. And so you guys, our takeaways for today, I'd like to leave you guys with takeaways, things to remember in case you, uh, I don't want you to forget these things. And worship team, you guys can make your way on out. Takeaways I have for you guys today is that we are called to pursue holiness in our lives. You know, you don't accidentally be, uh, you don't accidentally pursue holiness. You're not like, oh, I'm just walking around and oh, look at that, I'm holy. No, you pursue it. You intentionally pursue it by girding up the loins of your minds, by remembering that your pursuit of holiness first starts in your mind. And also that your pursuit of holiness, as, as complicated as we're tempted to think that it is, it really comes down to just obeying God and obeying what he has said. He's given us his word. We don't have to wonder what God wants from us. That's why we encourage you guys to read the word so you know what God wants for you, so you know how to live a life that pleases him. You're not gonna know that unless you read, read the Bible. That's the reality. And you guys, we pursue holiness as we look to Jesus. He gave us the example of what a holy life looks like on display. We don't have to wonder. 
And then finally, you guys, that we are to conduct our, our stay here, as Peter says, while we're here on earth, while we're passing through here, we're to conduct ourselves in awe. In awe of what? In awe of the gospel. In awe of the fact that Jesus shed his precious blood for our salvation. I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. Lord, we, we come before you now and we ask that, Lord, we, we truly ask that even right now that we would all search ourselves, Lord, in a room full of maybe 150 people there may be in here right now, maybe give or take a few more or less, doesn't matter. But Lord, surely there are those in this room from a pure statistical standpoint who have not been washed in your blood. God, I pray that every person in this room right now would search themselves and ask themselves the question, have I been washed in the blood of Jesus? And students right now, if you're asking yourself that question and you're unsure, maybe you've considered yourself a Christian Maybe you are new to church and you're new to all of this. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before. That is the most important question you will ever be asked in your entire life. Have I been washed? Have you been washed of your sin by the blood of Jesus? And students, if there's any of you today who are unsure of that, we're gonna make that sure right now. Just between you and the Lord, don't stand up. Don't, I'm not gonna have you come to the front, raise your hand, nothing like that. Just with your eyes closed, talk to your heavenly father right now and talk to him something like this. If you want to cry out for salvation today, for forgiveness of sins, just ask him, just talk to him like this, just you and him. Lord, I come to you now and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins by the blood of Jesus. I recognize that Jesus took my spot on the cross and died for my sin and spilled his blood for me. Lord, I accept you as my Lord, as my Savior. I ask that my life would never be the same. And if you just, if you told some version of that to the Lord right now, what the Bible says, the short version of what the Bible says is that you have been saved. What an amazing thing the gospel is. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.